All right, welcome to the Laura Gloves. I'm one of your hosts, Michelle. I'm Zach. I'm Justin. I'm Yosh. And thank you all so much, our listeners out there who were there when we launched just a couple of days ago. Okay, yeah. so this, this would be a lot a week ago. But oh my gosh, we've been so incredibly overwhelmed with the affection and the listenings and the comments. It's just been crazy. And then we got featured the next day on, on, on Daily Mothership. Magic Update by the Mothership <laughs> herself. And it's just like, oh my gosh. It's, Simon it's, likes us. Is, is Blake the mothership herself? <laughs> Blake, you are the mothership. If you are listening to this, we've deemed you. He that is, is your name now. the pilot of the mothership. Yes. That yes. sounds better. <laughs> the pilot of the mothership. He's inside the mothership. And the mothership is wizards. So thank you so much to our friends, the professor, and Magic the Amateuring, and, and a ton of other people who retweeted us and were really gracious with their with their praise and, and their feedback. So uh, keep it going. We're going to definitely uh, try to keep our stuff regular and, and fresh for you. <laughs> Got to give the podcast activity. <laughs> yeah, just, just, you know, we're going to make sure that, that sure it gets its fiber. fiber. Yeah. <laughs> Get our nutritional. But seriously, we, we would love feedback on what you guys would like from our podcast. We are absolutely looking forward to any sort of constructive criticism because, you know, you guys are the important part here. And we would love to you know, know what you want. Tell us what you want, what you really, really want. So mm-hmm. tell you what you want, what you really, really want. Mm-hmm. Probably not Spice Girls covers. What about the Spice Girls as Phyrexians? Oh, good God. <laughs> oh, no. It's like Elish Norn and Nora Brask and Jin Katexas. <laughs> just all on top of the little, like... Praetor girls? Oh, my goodness. I'm just remembering the, the, the London the Olympics closing ceremony with, like, all the Spice Girls on top of their little cabs. <gasps> They're the Splice Girls. They're the Splice Girls. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> So well, that oh, we're the, gonna... <laughs> I can see the ceased and desist letters just, <laughs> just rolling just in, flowing in. in. We will paper the studio with them. We'll <laughs> we'll read them on the air in a in a British accent. <laughs> uh, yes, we will we will try our best. So with that, we're gonna go ahead and move into our first segment, which is uh, just talking about the magic podcast that came out today. Yes, unfortunately, there was no new story. No new story. Allison Lures and Kelly Diggs. Kelly Diggs released a magic story podcast from the creative side. Yeah, and so Blake asked them a ton of really great questions from the fans, and we got some really interesting answers, uh, not just about the creative process, but also about, you know, lore, a couple of nice little tidbits here and there, some juicy secrets and tell-alls. So, yeah, Justin, what, what part of the interview did you really kind of find interesting? Well, I learned a lot from the podcast the uh, the big tidbit of information that I took was that the mending happened about sixty years ago that in seems world. So, so recent. It was it, before we had it pegged in the hundred and ten to sixty year range. It was somewhere in there. We hadn't quite got it pinned down, but it has now been canonized at sixty years, just before the ether boom on Kaladesh. So what's crazy is that. Liliano has been celebrating her 30th birthday now for 60 years. <laughs> 150 years. <laughs> Liliana's, Liliana's getting on in years. She's... She could be Jace's great, 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 great grandmother. Hey, let's not yuck people's yum here. Some people really like their ladies to be wise. She's very mature 
She's she you know she knows what sense. she wants, what well, she and, really wants. What oh, she really God. really wants. Oh no. <laughs> Unfortunately for both of them, Allison said on the podcast. Well, Kelly and and Allison both said it, the interaction is very fun for them to write. It's never going to happen. No, I think that's correct. I mean, we've said it ourselves. Whenever we. Never gonna get it. Never gonna get it. Never gonna get it. Never gonna get it. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Okay, this oh, is beautiful. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, we've said ourselves that Jason and Liliana are just—they're just so bad for each other. They're like a really bad Taylor Swift music video. Just like Taylor Swift getting in there's like, <laughs> I knew you were trouble just keep when you coming. walked in. Just keep them coming. <laughs> Toxic. That's just incredibly horrible. But, you know, it makes sense because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the kind of person Lily wants is someone who's effective and competent and smart and has common sense. Um, None of which are traits that describe Jays whatsoever, at, at least of current writing. Well, if anything, I think Lily wants someone that she can take seriously. And she doesn't see Jace that way. She sees Jace as a means to an end. She sees Jace as that really cute puppy that she talked about a little bit, you know, when, when uh, they were kind of facing off for that second time on Innistrad. Mm-hmm. She's like, Jace, I don't want to hurt you. You remind me, you're, you know, you know about dogs and you did have a dog when you were growing up and how it was cute and then it died and you were sad for a while and then it just went away. Yeah, that would be like what killing you would be like for me. I'd just be sad for a little while. Then I'd be the, fine. the only reason Liliana is still emotionally invested in Jace is that of all the relationships she's been in over her hundreds of years, Jace is the only person that ever ended it with her in a way that stripped her of power. He walked out on her after he discovered that she was double-crossing him with Tezzeret and Bolas. So when he walked out, he took the power. So it didn't end on her terms. Yes. So she's kind of like she only has feelings as a residual of that. If she was really in control of herself, she wouldn't have any affection for Jace whatsoever. He's fairly useless. Well, I mean, he is really smart. He should be, but he isn't. <laughs> Okay, theoretically, he is quite intelligent. He likes puzzles and illusions and chess. And long walks on the beach. No, no. That's too much exercise. Too much exercise. (laughs) You'd rather sit at home and read a book. (laughs) So, I mean, apparently he's also been training with Gideon, right? So maybe he's picked up a few tricks here and there. However, apparently he hasn't. Apparently he hasn't. So we know why Lily kind of feels that way towards Jace. I mean, Jace obviously looks at Lily. Lily is beautiful. She doesn't really care about what people think about her mm-hmm. at all. I mean, that's Well, she makes of... people think that she doesn't care what they think. Well, because she is incredibly vulnerable inside. And that's why I think so many of us love Lily, because she's that, I don't give a damn, because I'm a lady boss, and I'm just going to strut around. I don't give around. a damn about my bad <laughs> reputation. So, Lily is... <laughs> One of the reasons why I think so many people love Lily is that she's incredibly unapologetic in her use and pursuit of power. That's something that As, you know, a feminist, I'm just like, yeah, go get it, girl. And, you know, she's just getting in there. She uses every tool and she's just not ashamed. She has no use for shame. But, you know, when Jace walks away from her, it's just like, oh, you, I I revealed my my soft caramel center and you don't seem to like caramel. (laughs) This is awkward. Jace is more of a coffee kind of guy. Yeah, Jace is more of a coffee nougat kind of guy. So it sounds to me that Jace is, Jace might be wizard's portrayal of the magic player but in reality like Liliana is the Mickey Mouse 
I think Liliana has become incredibly popular in the past few years. I think the main difference is that the writers like writing Liliana, and they haven't quite figured out how to write Jace. Liliana is a really compelling character. She has this very straightforward arc and very developed personality. You know, she's a person with a past. She uh, she her, makes strong choices. You know, she when she was um, a healer on Dominaria, you know, she had a reputation, as mm-hmm. we've pointed out time and time again. She was, you know, pursuing relationships with other people on a casual basis. The gasp. And it's like, oh no, like how dare you be a liberated woman? <laughs> and, the gasp. <laughs> and, you know, she did it, she was like, I don't care, but she does care about certain people in her life. And I think that's what she's grown to understand, that having people you care about makes you weak, or at least creates a weakness within you that people can exploit. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, and that's really compelling for so many people because you desperately want to see her redeemed a little bit. <laughs> you know, there's a little part of, I think, all of the readers, it's like, oh, we want to fix you and your your little cracked, broken black heart, you know? <laughs> like, we want, to, we want to give that heart a little love and, you know, just like cuddle it like a little sad puppy and then you'll be, you know, you'll feel better. Liliana's quest to regain her soul is actually a quest to make her soul worth having. And it's also a quest for freedom. And that's just so compelling, right? Like, every day we're being held down by the shackles of work and society and what people think of us. And she's like, uh-uh, I'm going to go in and kill all of the patriarchal demons, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Kill those male demons. Kill those demons. I, I think she has that sort of same allure that someone like, have you seen Dexter or that show at all? It's about a laboratory? S- no, no. It's about a <laughs> serial killer. It <laughs> it's about a serial killer who only kills other serial killers or criminals. Yes. And that's something that... White black villain. And so, you know, it's something that we, we relate to him because we're like, yeah, he's like totally horrifically killing these people who really deserve horrific deaths. But at the same time, you know, we understand that he's actually not a good person. No. He's just he not. He happens to have a conveniently... Uh, moral code that lines up with ours but no he's not he's not a good guy he's not a good guy and i so so i think sometimes that liliana may be having us readers like fall into that same trap where we're just like myself very enamored with the idea of redeeming her but you know she's got her own agenda and she's always going to have her own agenda never change girl if she was redeemed i don't think the outcome would be as interesting as who she is now that's true. I think that's an interesting tangent because people have been talking about, well, Nyssa has gone green-blue. What other colors could we see with other planeswalkers in the Gatewatch? I think if she decided to suddenly care about people, that could be very black-red. She's just like, I'm going to go kill everyone because you messed with my people. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to go kill everyone because I love them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Razakip kills Jace and then she goes on this, on this vengeance thing. and Yeah, you killed my puppy! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you. Speaking of color shifts, the topic of Planeswalkers adopting other colors was also discussed on the podcast, which I found very interesting as it's been discussed here at the Lorgoifs. It's not just whimsical like, oh, I have a feeling. Therefore, I now possess the color that the feeling is associated with. There's actually uh, much more depth to a planeswalker adopting uh, a, a second, uh, or if a monocolored planeswalker adopts a color, or even if a, a multicolored planeswalker yeah. adopts a, Picking up another, another color, color involves um, more than just a fleeting whim. You have to believe 
or some fundamental uh, aspect of your character has to shift mm-hmm. into prioritizing this different style of thinking. Did they talk about it on the podcast, you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did they say? Well, they said when they look at um, – well, basically – there are times when fans, us included, when mm. we read the magic story, we... Wait, we're fans of magic? Oh, my God. I know. What? So there are times when when we'll basically say things like, oh, gosh, that wasn't a really, you know, red thing to do for Chandra, although Chandra's always red, but that wasn't a very <laughs> red thing to do for Jace. Um, you know, Jace is getting really upset. Does this mean he's going to be blue-red now? What does that mean? Um, no, that's not really the case. I mean, feelings are something that just exist in people. They are very different than personal beliefs and and personal, you know, like your... Your viewpoint. Precisely. The way you perceive the world around you and what your goals are in terms of interacting with that reality. Um, So, for example, Nyssa adopting Blue, we can see after the trial of knowledge, she begins to tinker with and interact with the mana on the plane, which is a blue ability uh, when she hacks Kefnet and uh, when she... Marin. Yeah. <laughs> and when, the cartouches. And the cartouches But even before in the arena. that, we see that she has taken on more interest in her surroundings. She wants to learn about the world around her. But that's where... But, well, that's the important part. That That is how she is able to use blue magic, is that she has tapped into this curiosity, this desire to gain knowledge rather than just be content with the world. I think that's a good starting point. But when she was on Kaladesh, she was mono green. Mm-hmm. And when she was meditating and doing those things that you just mentioned, she was still mono green. But the spark, if you will, that ignited the the blue aspects of her where she finally acquired blue was in my opinion, during the trial. Because she way got before to, that. She, she, got she had to... blue at the end of the Kaladesh storyline. Mm-hmm. She I, did have blue. Yeah, so here's here's how I would characterize the evolution of Nissa's blue side. So when she comes to Kaladesh, Kaladesh is a world where everything is part of this ether cycle. It's it's not separate like you would see on other planes. Like, you know, you have this thread kind of interconnecting all of the different races and the different colors. And as a result, um, it's a completely different way of interpreting ley lines and whatnot that's very alien to what she's seen before on Lorwyn or, or in Zendikar. As a result, she actually sits around and is like, what is going on? And she becomes aware, like when she talks to Yeheni, they help her understand that this is just part of the cycle, that their existence as Aetherborn are part of this whole cycle. And so Nissa sort of begins to understand and kind of appreciates and delights in that. And so I think that sort of awakens something within Nissa where she begins to open up her mind to accepting different interpretations and different, I guess, embodiments or iterations on how mana and ley lines sort of exist in different planes. And so, like, at the very end, when Yeheni passes, you know, Nissa tells them all about, hey, on Zendikar, there are land animals and animals, and they move and they do things. And uh, Yeheni's (laughs) mind's like, what? There are many worlds. (laughs) It's crazy out there. And, yeah, Yeheni's is, uh, their delight, I think, also helps fuel Nissa's interest in, like, not only finding out more, but also sharing that knowledge, I think. I think the main shift comes from most of her life, Nissa's been very insular. She's been very Zendikar-oriented, and before that, very elf-oriented. 
So during her time at Kaladesh, she comes to learn that she wants to more than just explore, which is kind of a, a green thing, is just to experience the world. She wants to learn about it. She wants to figure out how it works and the, the feel of each unique aspect of the world. And so when she comes to Amonkhet, her worldview has shifted and she's kind of doing this with Chandra. She's looking through the world and delving into it and trying to understand more than just accept it. And so when she comes to the trial of knowledge, she's able to tap into the blue mana and use it to hack Kefnet and so on. Yeah, what's really interesting, too, and important to remember is that she doesn't just use the ley lines to help diagnose Amonkhet's condition. She also looks at the evidence around her. She looks at the carvings. She looks at the state of you know the buildings, what's new, what's not. She relies on information that she can observe and see and feel and touch as opposed to just getting in tune with Amonkhet the plane. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do our planeswalkers aware of the color pie? Um. Um, or, are, or are beings <laughs> of the multiverse aware so of the So generally only pie? blue mages know about the color pie because they're the only ones that really study magic. Part of blue's color pie is that it's the most... It has the most comprehension of the functioning of magic. Most characters that wield magic can see that there's these five basic subtypes if they really study it, but blue is the only one that really delves into it and sees, oh, there are five colors, and that's where all magic spreads from. So is it would it be possible for, say, a Grixis-colored planeswalker to do some studying <laughs> huh. about green and white and then Again, figure so out how to adopt the green and white. The reason that <coughs> Nicol Bolas can't use green-white <laughs> is because he doesn't have the belief system. Exactly. That's that's why Nissa was able to acquire blue is she because she believed in the ideals that the blue character sets. She adopts that into her perspective. And that was just a matter of character evolution. She yes. didn't set out to learn Correct. blue. It just happened. Yeah. yeah it just and she happened. was able to access that. But Bolus has no under or isn't never going to believe that we should, you know, go for the greater good. That there's he is the most anti-communist guy of all time. He is a super <laughs> dictator. Super capitalist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bolus will never believe that we should pander to the weak or that we should accept the world as it is. So he could never, well, he can gain control of someone who believes that. He can never use green or white mana himself. Grixis, by the way, is uh, blue, blue, black, red. Black, red. Oh, well, one thing I wanted to mention in the podcast is that uh, we basically got alluded to next week's story that it's going to be Mazarek, uh, the black-green insect shaman crawl from uh, Ravnica. Who is not part of the Golgari, Correct, as the... Zach has reminded me. <laughs> Thank yes, you, the, Zach. the crawl insect flying dudes that, were, that showed up on one card and returned to Ravnica are these uh, subterranean insect people that do exist in in the sewers where the the swarm, the Golgari, live, but they're not necessarily integrated uh, with the swarm itself. They have their own caste system. Are they skittering and slimy? They fly. They most have fly. Not to be confused, though, with the uh, the second evolution of Delver of Secrets. Yeah, that's what I automatically, my mind went to. Yeah, I mean, it's right. definitely got yeah, the same sort of, like, praying mantis, like, I guess, sorry, listeners, you can't see me. I'm trying to make a little praying mantis motion. <laughs> um, but... 
really spot Quite compelling. on. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, everyone's looking at me like, oh yeah, Michelle, like, you got that praying mantis down. I just look like I'm doing Thriller, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see it be the resolution of the Tessa and Tajik storyline that we've been getting little tidbits of over the years. It would be really great to see some dark Naya action. Mm. Mm. Is that Naya with a splash of black? Naya yes. with a splash of black. <laughs> Did you both see the cat dragon in... Well, let's let's not discuss the leaks. In, yeah, I um, think... As oh. fun as they are to see, it's always unfortunate when they happen. Oh, I didn't know that they were leaks. Yeah, they yes. were leaks. <laughs> Commander so... 2017 doesn't come out until August. So these are, these are cards that were illegally photographed and put on the internet. Well, I had a, a long lineup of Ajani-related jokes with dragons, but I guess those will have to wait until <laughs> we'll, summer of 2017. Until, yeah, we'll wait until August. And we'll get we'll, there. Don't you worry. Yeah, with that, I mean, I, I think that's about all of the things we, we wanted to talk about. I mean, we were really excited to get a little bit of insight into what it's like to work at Wizards. Yes. What Allison, like Allison and Kelly both have like a little folder on their laptops, their <laughs> desktops, and we're like, damn, the, t- the, the ones, the fans that get it right. Right. Maybe it's one labeled day. the tinfoil hat folder. Yes. Maybe one day we'll get there. Maybe she'll record like little snippets of us when we're right and then be like, oh, boop, That'd drop it in great. the folder. We love you, Allison. We do. You're we adorable. Really do. You're really mm-hmm. cute. Sorry, we'll stop now. Her, well, we'll stop now. Just, she's just so passionate about what she does, her yeah. and Kelly both, and it really comes across in the way that they talk about story, both detached from it as the creator of magic story and as a a fan as a fan yeah it was really refreshing and and very wonderful to hear and allison and kelly both of you if you're listening to this podcast we would love to have you on to just shoot the story about story yeah if you ever (laughs) shoot the story about the story we're, we're we're super less awkward in per- no, we're not. We're not. <laughs> what am I doing? But I'm at not least kidding. we're friendly. <laughs> we are friendly and engaging. Thank you, Blake. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to head into our next sponsor segment. Everyone has desires they want fulfilled. How can I get promoted? How do we make wizards rescind the reserve list? How can I get my pants back? Fortunately, there's a relic that has the power to grant all of your wishes. The Chain Veil! Forged on the plain of Chandelar! Imbued with the spirits of 10,000 Onaki warlocks and a hint of vanilla! The Chain Veil sees all, knows all, and has the power to unlock all of life's secrets! Chain Veil, can you help me make the Pro Tour? If you stop casting creatures and sorceries on the first main phase, you stupid N00B. And use the Chain Veil! Chain Veil, can you help me find love? Yes! After you get a job, a haircut, and improve your questionable hygiene. And use the Chain Veil! Uh, you sound like my mother, Chain Veil. Speaking of, you should move out of her basement. And she hates you! Chain Veil, can you make our podcast be successful? Highly doubtful. The Lorgoifs are talentless, and your other sponsor segments are boring and trite. But Justin Bagnall, on the other hand, that guy's a future. Aww. Because he used the Chain Veil! Everyone has desires. Chain Veil is the answer! So call on the Chain Veil now. Your fortune is our favor. So next up, we're going to be talking about the mending and the nature of the Planeswalker Spark. 
So back in the day, now confirmed exactly 60 years ago, the events of the time spiral block occurred. Some events transpired on Dominaria. Time rifts began opening after people started ripping holes in their planes to get to different places. It all started with Bolas, of course. But uh, all of reality is starting to unravel. Time itself is coming apart. So Dominaria is the nexus of the magic multiverse. Technically, the way the planes work is that the blind attorney is the space between planes, but Dominaria is the plane that is closest to most other planes. If there is a center of the multiverse, it is Dominaria. And so what if there's something cataclysmic that happens on other planes, that cataclysm is reverberated no. on if, if, Dominaria. If Dominaria starts to fall apart, it'll reverberate through other planes. Got it. Okay. Not in reverse. Got it. Okay. So the time rifts on Dominaria start to open and the planeswalkers that are good or, you know, as close to good as can be, Venser and Teferi and uh, Joyra and so on, take it upon themselves to to save the universe, essentially. And so they all sacrifice their sparks to rectify this hole, this, this undoing, and in doing so, create the mending, which binds the universe back together and releases the sparks back to the planeswalkers, but severely diminished. Mm. Planeswalkers are no longer walking gods they are now just powerful mages with the ability to through effort move from plane to plane wasn't there some sort of false prophet of some sort that had something to do like she had a a rock or um what there was a card false prophet well there's uh where is it when it died, it rather got at the board. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what Justin's talking about. The there. Uh, what is this? The, she was created. Oh, you're talking about Corona. Corona that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh that that is but back she, on. But she does Dominaria go better with lime. as just a one-off storyline. <laughs> she does go better. <laughs> she does go better with lime. Okay. Anyway, so they get their sparks back. Yeah. And now they're just regular mages. And so um, people who didn't give up their sparks, their sparks still diminish. Like so, Nicol all Bolas, planeswalker sparks were pulled into this and reformatted, nerfed. So, so okay, so people like yeah, Bolas who wouldn't have been helpful right. was just hanging out one day and suddenly like, whoa, there goes my spark. Whoa, it's it, back. But he was actively it's... trying to stop this, but, but he he was worse. unsuccessful. Okay. And as a result, they provided him with his sole motivation as a character. Ever since the mending. Bolas has been stripped of his super godlike powers. He's still a giant, immensely powerful dragon mage wizard, but he's no longer a god on top of that. So ever since the mending, he's been doing his darndest to get that power back. So he went to Alara and caused the conflux as a way to absorb its power and try to regain uh, some measure of his strength. Ajani managed to thwart him by uh, creating a ghost of his soul and having them fight, which was funky, but, you know, if you're going to beat Bolas, might as well beat him with a Bolas. Bolas has been behind a lot, but the mending is the is the cause of most of his interference with the other storylines. So was the mending a consequence of all of the planeswalkers returning to Dominaria to stuff up the hole? 
or was it The mending a... was the act of sacrificing their sparks to fix the multiverse. Okay. So these time rifts, so they appeared, do we know how long it was that they were kind of appearing and flying around? Or did they exist before the time spiral They'd, block? Like the, the, the portals and the time rifts had been opened long before, but they'd started to tear apart the fabric of reality. Why was the mending... Even a part of the story, like what was the what was the motivation and the desired effect of wizards putting the mending in? So one, they needed to tell a time story. They needed to, you know, they, they wanted a block about time, and so they come up with time spiral, which is you know past, present, and future. It's an alternate present, and so they needed some reason to tell a story about a story in that way. And then they wanted to allow planeswalkers to be characters they could tell stories about. Because it's it's kind of hard to relate to a god that can just will all of their problems out of existence. So following the time spiral block came Lorwyn, and they printed planeswalkers as cards for the first time. This was only possible because of the mending. And so from there on out, we got stories that were about planeswalkers. So then at that point, players are supposed to think of themselves as more powerful planeswalkers than these planeswalkers, and that's why you can summon them? I think our nature hasn't changed. But the flavorful aspect of casting a Planeswalker is really just spending some mana to summon a buddy, like to call in a favor from a Planeswalker mm-hmm. friend of yours. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, because that was when I came back after 10 years, and I was like, what? Planeswalkers? But I'm yeah. a Planeswalker. What's going on? <laughs> That's me. <laughs> yeah, they really just give players a way to identify with the story. Uh, the first Planeswalker I opened was Garrick. I don't remember what. I think it was Color of Beasts. and I, I Six drop Garrick? I, 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 maybe. He's the one that creates 3 3 beasts. Uh, no, that's the five mana Garrick. Garrick, uh, no doesn't worse. matter. But I wasn't convinced that it was a real card. I'm <laughs> 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 like, was, is this some sort of promo thing? And then I showed my buddy, and he was like, Primal Hunter. Whoa, you have a Planeswalker, the most powerful <laughs> things ever. You should trade it to me. I'm like, no, I don't want to trade it to you. <laughs> well, now that you've told me all about this, I'm just going to keep it. Yeah, but they have loyalty counters instead of life. Mm-hmm. They're, and... they're the only card type that doesn't explain what it does on the card. You have to understand some things about the Planeswalker card type before you open one in order to understand what it does. Yeah. So, you know, mending happened so we could have Planeswalker cards. Yep. You think they decided they wanted to print Planeswalker cards and then came up with the mending storyline, or do you think they... There there were multiple reasons to do it, and that was, that was a big one. Yeah. What was story like before the mending? A lot darker, a lot more sporadic, and uh, a lot less united. The first real concerted effort at a story was the Weatherlight Saga, I'm and that, that was... That was not about planeswalkers. The only planeswalker was Urza, and he was kind of in the background as like the the mastermind that set these events uh, into action. Here's a, a far off question, but you know you remember the original Nico Bolas when mm-hmm. he's like having some cocoa and reading a book. <laughs> that was yeah. before his spark ignited, way back in the day. I just was curious to know like how this benevolent sort of. Uh, how this benevolent creature became <laughs> Nicobolus. We don't know much about Nicobolus, or his past at least. We know that at one point his spark ignited. He survived the dragon war that killed off all the other elder dragons. He got into a battle with this freaky leviathan thing and ate it. And that's why he looks the way he does now, because that, that 
uh, devouring body. transformed his body. And the talons of that Leviathan became the Talon Gates, which were the first uh, time rift or the planar portal that started these time rifts. When did he acquire the head egg? <laughs> we don't know. We know nothing of the head egg. Yeah. This should have gone into the last episode. I remembered it at the very last minute. But what if, tin, putting my tinfoil hat on, yep. yeah. what if Nico Bolas falls and he dies? And he can't then fall. The, he has wings. He can fly. Well, he it's sort of like uh, uh, smog. You know, they, they uh, shoot him in his weak spot. Yeah. Shoot uh, him with a crossbow, they, Steve. They, they, they put Chandra onto a bow and then they just God damn it. fling her right into that soft spot on his golden belly. Stay with me. So Nico Bolas falls out of the sky and then he's like, ah, I'm dying. Ah. And then and then his headache. His headache hatches? <laughs> his headache hatches. <laughs> and there's a, a very tiny Nico Bolas God damn it. that emerges from the headache. It's like a mini-me for Nico uh, Bolas. Yeah, he's like, curse you, please, walkers. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it too and then he plays walk he plays walks like this <laughs> and a puff of smoke <laughs> you really need to bring some food with you to these you get real weird when you're hungry this is what I think about when I'm trying to go to sleep after reading story I'm like ah oh, what if there's a tiny Nico Bolas inside of the Nico Bolas head it would be pretty cool if that's like secretly Nico Bolas son or clone up in there yeah he's like making, uh, he's making his own new godlike Nico Bolas in the, in the egg uh, slowly incubating woo. it well, let's talk about the Planeswalker Spark. We haven't talked about the Planeswalker Okay, so the Planeswalker Spark appears in approximately one in a million people on any plane. It's just an innate thing. It's some aspect inside of you, and it requires some form of traumatic event or powerful realization to awaken. So really, it's like you have a Planeswalker candle, and then it gets lit. Yes. Or a Planeswalker You, you have a Planeswalker Kindle, kindle that sparks. Yeah. So it's there and it's like ready to burn, but like it needs mm-hmm. something to like to ignite. actually ignite. Ignite. And okay. so the reasons we get stories about interesting characters is because they're the ones that have undergone trauma to ignite their sparks. So for example, there could be a Joe the Baker planeswalker that goes from plane to plane seeking out the the best cooking and, you know, sourdough uh, bread, you know. Yes, the, the best food he can find, but you know, he didn't endure any trauma, so he never awoke his spark. Burned his hand in that oven, man. <laughs> he went on vacation with the baker's wife and then came back, and then all of the bread wasn't made correctly, and then he was like, oh, my God! And then he appeared in, to band. in bread plan. Yeah. Bread Go, plane. Goes, bread goes to Bant. The bread plane. <laughs> Bant is the bread plane? Sure. If you say so. But anyway, while it is unlikely for any individual to have a spark it's mostly just story at this point so they throw sparks at characters that are compelling or that represent something for the story so while Amonkhet has such a small population you know this tiny city of Nakdamun well large city but um, I mean not millions yeah several thousand people at most somehow there's going to be one person there that has a spark because statistics just don't I mean if it's one in a million people, it could just as easily not show up in anyone for 50 years. Or you could have five in 20 minutes. 
okay. which is kind of what you know magic storyline is. It's like you go to different worlds and you encounter interesting and different characters, and they have sparks. Well, so planeswalker sparks can be uh, given. Uh, well, can Karn... they still be given post mending, or was that only a pre mending thing? Uh, Venser gave his spark to Karn, Karn. to save him from the Phyrexian oil and in doing so died. And that was post-mending? Yes. Okay. So that that can happen, but you kind of have to sacrifice your life along with the spark. Mm-hmm. Can a Planeswalker spark be taken? Um, there's been a bunch of attempts at it, but none have been successful. Yet. Yeah. So it's totally possible that Bolas could maybe eat people's sparks. <laughs> if he becomes powerful enough or figures out the right way. The side of Mycosynflatus with Ranch. <laughs> so the mending was supposed to be we've it's been pegged now at 60 years ago yes time spiral block then was so 60 years ago but i feel like most of the story so zendikar was only a couple like original zendikar was only like a year ago or a couple months ago right yeah it was the year or so and so i feel like there has been a there was a big what like 50 year gap in story it was like time so yeah spiral, shards then... of alara took place Shortly after that, but then there's a big chunk that where not much happens until we get to the more modern planeswalkers. Mm-hmm. That started with origins. Though that, that's where we we had the big bring together and concerted effort towards a new story that's based around yeah, uh, but, a planeswalker continuity. But we had storylines going on before then. Yeah, my my thought when I got back into it was like, oh, Zendikar original block had been like many many years before the return to Zendikar, but it sounds like. It was, only, no, it was you know, pretty little, close. It was only pretty close. Then yeah, it like, feels like all of these. And then, how about first Mirrodin before second Mirrodin? Was that supposed to also be a pretty short time period? First Mirrodin was pre-mending. Okay, first Mirrodin story block is pre-mending, and then second Mirrodin is uh, before the events of Theros. So it was all like Weatherlight, the Weatherlight saga that was all pre-mending too. Yep, that was oh. all a couple hundred years ago. I'm uncertain. Okay, Dominaria timelines go all over the place. Okay. Oh, crazy. How, how long were we on Dominaria? Thousands of thousands of years. Oh, yeah, because it would jump in time. I remember, you know, like... Like Ice Age, Ice Age was is like, on Dominaria during a literal Ice Age. Yeah, like, you know, huge, huge amounts of time for the whole plane to free, you know. And the Brothers' War is thousands of years ago. Then Legends was supposed to be even, like, longer ago than that, right? Like, yeah. things that they were just Legends of now. Yep. Antiquities was even farther back. So the story evolved from the very beginning, which was just on Dominaria. Yeah. And well, then... we, we moved around a bit. The, the very first expansion was on Arabia, which was the Arabian Nights-style world. We visited a number of planes over the time, or over the early years of Magic Story, but it all came back to Dominaria. And were they different planes at the time, or were they just different worlds? There were actual different planes, like Arabia and Olgothra, um, but a lot of Dominaria should have been other planes, but instead we just added new continents to this singular world. Yeah, which is a bit of a problem when we're going back next year. But you know, they'll they'll they've found a way to properly uh, wrap it all up into a two set block somehow. Hmm. Interesting. Well, maybe they'll maybe they'll do something weird because it's so they have a two set block Ixalan, and then Dominaria is supposed to be the next next year. Yeah, next year for the twenty fifth anniversary. Maybe they'll surprise us and do a four-set block. Dun, dun, dun. You know, it is it is a possibility. Heard rumors of a core set might that might be returning. Oh, where'd you hear those? Oh, on the interwebs. Uh, apparently, Wizards put out a survey for the name of a set, uh, and 
the the rumor mill uh, pro- processed it and inferred that they might be reintroducing a core set, hopefully to print a series of answers that don't necessarily fit into the the design and the blocks that sure. of like the the main story planes. Uh, so we'll have a, a ver- just just like the old core set, but. I mean, the, the problem with the old core set is that it was too simple, it wasn't fun to draft, and uh, it just didn't sell a lot. Sure. So... The core set was always a problem child, but it also was a valuable tool for balancing standard. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I could see as a new player, it's a place to begin where you're like, okay, their idea was, it was a little less complicated, there were fewer mechanics, right? Yeah, that, that was the goal of the core set, was to be introductory, but they also had to want to introduce stuff to excite it to, or make it exciting for uh, enfranchised players. And so, you know, uh, for a long time, it was just all reprints, and then they started to print new cards, and then they started to return mechanics. Uh, But it it was always an issue, and that's why they got rid of it. There were many good reasons to be rid of the core set, but they also missed some of the repercussions of not having it. They've continuously said, it's very hard for us to reprint cards, and the core set was the easiest place for them to do that. And so they've they've kind of lost some of the flexibility it granted. I mean, instead of a core set, couldn't they do like you know the way they print the they print the dual decks or something that have cards in them that are standard legal but aren't really Of course, in but packs? they they refuse to put any good cards in those because they want new players to have easy access yeah, to them. But they could make a like side, I don't know, maybe not as big as a core set, but like a small kind of like supplemental thing of like oh hey we're gonna make this fun thing oh by the way we threw these extra cards in there in case you need them yeah but again if they want there are a lot of constraints on what they can do and they always err on the side of caution that's why they we don't see powerful reprints in standard at all and why we don't see many good reprints happening outside of master sets because if they push them at all monetarily, the players that need the cards won't be able to get them. There, there, there are many problems that Magic has to deal with that most of us people aren't aware of, but uh, they do a good job. What I really enjoyed about Origins, the last core set, was the, the preview of Kaladesh and the Yeah, the little, bunch of different worlds. That yeah. was a really cool feel. I, I missed that feel of the core set, getting sort of like previews of of future sets that are going to be arriving soon as well as callbacks to popular sets in the past yeah we had stuff like convoke which is you know really fun to to return Mm -hmm. i i don't miss the core set despite how much fun magic origins is was all right this has been another episode of the Lorgwifes. I'm one of your hosts, Zach. I'm Justin. I'm Yosh. And uh, Michelle had to step out for the second segment, but she will be joining us back again next week. If you want to contact us, tweet at us, at Lorgwife. We really appreciate your feedback, and we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to listen to us talk about lore. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. Have a great day. Oh, so uh, thanks so much for that nice message, Chainvale. I guess, uh, Justin, since you've been using it, um, how, how's the bleeding been? A little heavy at times. A little heavy at times? Yeah, yeah. We noticed that 
kind of started happening once you once you kind of used it a couple of times. The bleeding's not as bad as the voices, though. Oh, that's really awkward. And but you're okay otherwise. I'm fine. Okay. A little, little cold. A little cold. Yeah. Oh, that that's okay. Just let us know. We can always turn the temperature up. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> of course. We want. We want ever. We want all. Of this. <laughs> okay then. <laughs>